Hello, hola, and konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Greenland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the Curtain Jerkers. I, of course, am talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This weekend is UFC Back to the Apex, Blades versus Volkov, and it is an exciting card top to bottom, but we, of course, are just going to be focusing on the prelim portion of that card. Now, those of you who are new to the show might be asking yourself, why just focus on the prelims? Why is this a podcast that does not talk about the main card? And the answer is pretty simple. You guys probably already know a lot about Curtis Blades. You probably know about a lot about Alexander Volkov or Jim Miller, who's on the main card, or you know a whole bunch of other names, Raquel Pennington. But you probably don't know a lot of these names on the prelims. You probably don't know some of these people. And we are here not only to educate you for your own enjoyment, but also so that you're ready for daily fantasy lineups or gambling because there's a lot of money to be won on the prelims. But before we get to this breakdown, I do have to let you know that this episode of the Prelim Primer is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. They allow you to log your training sessions and leave yourself notes so that you can make sure that you are making the progress you want in whatever martial art it is you train. Make sure you download the Maroon Social app wherever apps are downloaded. And I, of course, am joined by a savvy co-host to help me break down these fights. He is a regular of the show. You guys might know him also from the Fixed Pipe podcast with Kurt and Ben. I'm joined today by Kurt Chase Patrick. Kurt, thanks for joining me. Thanks again, man. It's a pleasure as always. All right, guys. And as you know, we start every single round by putting five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Roxanne Modafari versus Lauren Murphy. Modafari, 2-1 in her last three. She beat Antonina Shevchenko, lost to Jennifer Maya, and then beat Macy Barber in kind of a shocking upset. Lauren Murphy, on her own right, is on a two-fight winning streak. She TKO'd Mara Romero Barella and then took a decision, split decision victory over Andrea Lee. So this could legitimately be a number one contender's fight or damn close to it. Roxy lately has been able to physically dominate a lot of her opponents, especially Shevchenko and Barber. Do you think that's a path to victory here for her against Murphy? Yeah, it's kind of surprising um, seeing, I guess, like her growth recently, especially, you know, so late in her career. Because if you look at like, honestly, like uh, pioneers of women's MMA, I know that gets thrown around pretty loosely. But Roxanne Modafferi is definitely a pioneer of women's MMA. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of surprised to see her you know, dominating these chicks, you know, physically so late in her career, especially the the Macy Barber one was super surprising. I thought that was kind of like a, you know, a, a lamb to slaughter for, for Macy Barber, as good as Roxanne is. But, yeah, it was super impressive. And, uh, yeah, I, I honestly think she keeps this going. Lauren Murphy's a, a solid fighter, but I think Roxanne is a bit more skilled and a bit more savvy in uh, many of the positions, especially on the map. Yeah, and I think what it will basically come down to for me in, in picking this fight is whether or not Roxanne will be able to get that body lock. Because she's been getting that body lock on a lot of fighters, right? Like, that's how she got Macy Barber down more than once. That's how she got Antonia Shevchenko down. I think you're right. She's better than her in a lot of the positions, especially the ones on the mat. But without that body lock takedown, she really doesn't get it to the mat, right? Like, she doesn't have a power double. She doesn't run a pipe well on a single leg or anything like that. That body lock is really her bread and butter to that. So here's my question to you. Do you think she can get inside enough on Lauren Murphy to make one or two of those stick? I do because, you know, Murphy Murphy kind of invites that, um, I don't want to say sloppy, but kind of like that, that you know, in-your-face brawl type style. I think I think – Murphy is going to be fine with, with 
you know, some dirty boxing, some clinch work, and I think that plays really into Mataferi's uh, style and her setups for her takedowns. Absolutely. I, I think you're right on that, too, that the fact that she moves forward in, in kind of that gritty style o- almost pushes forward and forces a clinch without even meaning to sometimes, I think. So, yeah, you're right. If she's able to make one or two of those takedowns stick, I think it's Roxanne's fight for sure. Now, it sounds like we're both leaning the same way. How do you see Roxanne getting it done? I see Roxanne getting it done uh, via decision. Um, you know, I think I think I think it's a close fight. I don't think she steamrolls Murphy by any means. Murphy is a talented fighter, but yeah, I see it, it, it going via decision, um, possibly even a split. I think Roxanne gets a couple takedowns, beats her up in the clinch. I think it's a fun fight, though. Yeah, I got Roxanne by decision. I'm gonna go with you on that one too. I think what we've seen out of Lauren Murphy's jujitsu game lately, getting better and better too, is gonna to keep her from getting subbed. But I don't think good enough to get her back to her feet consistently enough to win a decision here. And that takes us to our second fight, which is a real interesting one too. This is Clay Guida versus Bobby Green. Guida is one and two in his last three. He got subbed by Charles Oliveira, took a decision victory over BJ Penn, and then got subbed by Jim Miller. Green has lost two straight decisions to both Drekar, Closa, and Francisco Trinaldo. So here's a, a really fun piece here. Clay Guida hasn't lost a decision in eight years. Bobby Green hasn't won a fight by decision in like six years. Is there any way that Bobby Green gets Clay Guida out? Uh, yeah, I think there's a possibility, man. You know, Guida, as tough as he is, I mean, you, you know, Guida's getting up there in age. He's, what, 38 now? He's got about... I don't even know, like 700 fights at this point. Um, he's been finished before. He's obviously tough to finish, but, uh, you know, Green definitely has some power. I mean, there was a point in Bobby Green's career where he was on, like, what, a five, six-fight win streak? Um, Green definitely has some power. So, yeah, I, I, I could see Green getting a finish here. And honestly, I could see Guida getting a finish as well. I, I think I, and nothing in this fight would surprise me, put it that way. Yeah, I think it is a completely crapshoot of a fight when you're looking at it. I am worried about whether or not Bobby Green can tag him hard enough to knock him out because you're, you're right. Clay Guida has been finished a bunch of times recently, but if you look back at those, almost 100% of them are submissions, right? Like, he is not a guy who gets knocked out regularly. He's got a great chin. I mean, like, for me, the, the quintessential Clay Guida moment is when Diego Sanchez kicked him in the head, and he popped up almost as fast as he got knocked down. So, like, I am i don't think he can be knocked out here by Bobby Green, and I don't know. I'm having a tough time seeing Bobby Green winning a decision here. Um, but that takes us just about to the end of the first round, so I'm going to have to ask you for your prediction. Who do you got? I'm going Guida by, uh, let's see, second round rear naked choke. I think Guida does enough. Like you said, he's hard to finish. I think he puts him on his back enough, and I think he finds his way to a rear naked choke in the second round. All right, I'm going to take Guida, but I'm going to be a little bit less confident, and I'm going to take him by unanimous decision. I think he mixes in the takedowns well enough here to uh, to keep Bobby Green at bay on, with his striking when he does eventually get up. And, and I think, you know, ultimately, those the takedowns for Clay Guida and his top pressure are going to be enough to win a decision. And that's going to do it for the end of the first round. We're going to take a quick break, talk to our sponsors, and we'll be right back with round number two. And one more quick note here from Maroon Social. Not only is Maroon Social a great place to log your training sessions and leave yourself notes, but it's also a great place to log your competitions. I, for one, have always been the type of person who wishes they had a log of all of the places where I competed and how I did in all of those matches. Well, now I do have that for since I started downloading the Maroon Social app about a year and a half ago. I have a place where I can now log 
every single competition that I've ever done, and I know whether or not I won those fights, lost those fights, how quickly, how slowly, how many different divisions I did, what I took home for prizes. It's a really cool function to have all in the palm of your hand. And if your phone dies, it's not saved in your notes. It's saved on an app so that you can access it when that next phone comes around. So make sure to download the Maroon Social app. Start logging those competitions today. And we are back with round number two. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Tisha Torres versus Brianna Van Buren. Tisha Torres is actually on a four-fight losing streak, but listen to this list. She's lost to Jessica Andrade, Joanna Jan Jacek, Veili Zhang, and Marina Rodriguez. So three former champions plus a top 10 opponent in Marina Rodriguez. Brianna Van Buren, meanwhile, has only got one fight in the UFC. She took a debut victory in July of 2019, so she's been off for almost a year over La Via Renata Souza. So... Torres is kind of on like a historic skid here, right? Like we've, we've never seen a, a losing streak quite this bad, but it's against really, really high-level talent. Do you think Van Buren fits into that level of talent? Yeah, I do, man. You know, uh, we had Brianna Van Buren on our podcast a, a couple weeks ago, and she's she's a super confident girl. She's very confident in her skills. She's very confident in her training, and I really like her chances in this fight. Again, you know, you look at – not only this losing streak, but you look at the rest of Tisha Torres' resume, and she's been fighting, um, you know, top contenders for a while, right? She's fought pretty much everyone in that top ten at the division. A lot of those women were re- fresh off that Ultimate Fighter series. They've all been kind of mixing and mingling since then. I think Brianna Van Buren is a very fresh and a much-needed face in this division, and I really like to step up for her because Tisha is super tough. Yeah, and I, I think the interesting thing to me here, too, is that Brianna Van Buren does a lot of the things that Tisha Torres does, right? Like, she's got some very tight boxing, and she's got good forward pressure. But one of the things about Brianna Van Buren, and we saw it on that Invicta tournament she was in, she is not complacent like Tisha Torres can get sometimes. Tisha Torres can be very comfortable about where she is in the fight. She might think she's ahead on the judges' scorecard. She might, you know, maybe turn the volume down a little bit for a while. I've never seen that on Brianna Van Buren. She turns it up all the time. And and again, that's probably due to that confidence you were mentioning. She is a super confident girl. So, like, when we're looking at whether or not she's the type of person to beat Tisha Torres, I think that that volume is a scary thing, right? Because she's got a similar build to Tisha Torres. So, I don't see Torres' physicality outdoing her. And Torres had trouble with Marina Rodriguez, who is, you know, a pretty good volume puncher in her own right. So... Once again, it sounds like we're, we're right on step with this one. Uh, how do you have Brianna Van Buren winning it? I have her winning by decision. I think she's a better finisher than, than Torres, but Torres is definitely tough to get out of there. She's got a lot of experience. But, yeah, I, I think Brianna mixes and takedowns well. She's very confident in her wrestling. I have Brianna by decision in a big win for her. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning, too, that Tisha Torres has never been finished, even if you count her ultimate fighter run. So, yeah, she's a very tough person to finish. I'll take Brianna Van Buren the same exact way. And that brings us to our second fight of the second round, which is Frank the Crank Camacho versus Matt the Steamroller Fravola. Camacho, one and two in his last three. He got knocked out by Jeff Neal, but then he knocked out Nick Hine and then was subbed by Benil Dariush. Provola, meanwhile, is on a two-fight win streak with decisions over both Jalen Turner and Luis Violent Bob Ross Pena, which is a heck of a streak right there. So we're going to take the question about Camacho, though. So Camacho has looked a lot more technical in his last two. Even though he lost to Benil Dariush, he's looking a lot more calculated, a lot less chaotic, 
Is that enough to beat somebody like Frivola, who is a good wrestler and counters that kind of chaos? That's not fun, right? Uh, yeah, he's definitely he's definitely looked a bit more, uh, you know, toned down. He was kind of a, a wild brawler for a while, and it was super fun to watch, but maybe wasn't getting him the results that he needed. Um, it's gonna be tough, man. That that whole Sarah Longo camp that Frivola is from, they're on they're on a roll right now, man. They're doing really well. Um, Frivola is gonna be super prepared. He's a very good wrestler. I think this is a really tough one for uh, Camacho here. Yeah, and he, the thing about Camacho, too, is that, like, when he is, when he was looking more technical against Nick Hine, he was be, being able to absolutely stuff every takedown attempt. But the other thing is, too, is that a, a Nick Hine takedown attempt, being a judo guy, is a lot more difficult than, or a lot different than a, a takedown against somebody like Matt Frivola, who's got that very classic, like you said, Sarah Longo style. He He's kind of like an Aljamain Sterling type build when it comes to takedowns. If Bravola is able to take him down, do you think that he has the submission skills or even the the ability to keep Camacho down for an extended period of time? Yeah, I do, man. I, I you know I don't know if he gets a submission here. I definitely think he has the skills for it. But you know Camacho's been in there. He's been in a lot of fights. Um, I don't think he's got. Has he even gotten submitted that much? Let me take a look at his record. I mean, but, he's got, Benil Dariush submitted him, but like Benil Dariush is like a. Very that's legit a, submission that's a, guy. Yeah, 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 that's a very high step up. I, I think very highly of Darius. He's only been submitted twice in his career. Um, I maybe maybe he doesn't get the submission, but I think he definitely has the skills too. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's a very tough fight for Camacho here. I really like Matt Favola's um style. I like the matchup for him, and Matt Favola has been in a lot of people's mouths lately. I feel like I've heard a couple people uh randomly calling him out lately. Maybe it's because of that Sarah Longo um streak that they're on. Yeah, it could be, and uh, I'm actually going to disagree with you on this one for the first time. I- I'm liking Frank Camacho here, and some of it is that jiu-jitsu defense and his ability to get up. Um, I also think he, uh, he made a camp change to, to Kaunoyama in California off of you know working in Hawaii and Guam as he had been doing before, so I think it's a better focus for him, and I think maybe if he can mix a little bit of that chaos with a little bit of that calculation, we, we could see a lot better of a Frank Camacho here. So I'm going to take Frank Camacho. I'm going to say he gets it done with that big right hand like he's been throwing. Um, Maybe he brings a little bit of that chaos from those previous fights. And that's going to do it for the end of our second round. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with three more fights in the third round. All right, guys, one last quick note here from Maroon Social. One other cool function they got is the ability to talk with your friends about your training sessions. I've got another podcast, the Top Turtle MMA Podcast. You guys might have heard me on there with Shockwave Dave Tremonte. We used to train together all the time. We were each other's favorite training partners. He moved a whole state away from me. We don't get to train so much anymore. So now me and him both use the Maroon Social app. We log our training sessions and we're able to comment on what each other are doing. Maybe I worked on a a heel hook and he worked on a heel hook that same day. He's got a couple of notes for me. So I can already see his notes. And in addition to that, he can type a little note to me as well. Give me a little os, and then we move on with our day. So it's a really cool function. I highly suggest checking it out. Maroon Social, wherever you download apps. And we are back with round number three. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Courtney Casey versus Jillian Robertson. Courtney Casey won her flyweight debut by quick armbar over Mara Romero Barella. Meanwhile, Jillian Robertson has lost her two-fight win streak to Macy Barber by TKO. So she's 2-1 and one in her last three. Now, Casey gets a quick turnaround here after getting a very fast submission 
but doing so after she was taken down. Now, she's taking a step up in the grappling here. How does she handle that step up in the grappling? Um, I think she handles it pretty well. Casey's got, uh, you know, she's got four submissions on her record. Again, we, you know, we kind of said it in, in a bunch of these fights, but, uh, she's definitely fought the better competition, right? If you look up and down her record, she's got, she's got some really good names on it. And she's also gotten a lot of split decisions on her record that could have, you know, went either way and made that nine to seven record look a little bit different. Jillian Robertson is a very good grappler. Um, I do think Casey will have the advantage on the feet, which could play um, a huge role in this fight. Yeah, the, the thing about those split decisions for me when you're looking at, at Courtney Casey and you're right. She lost to Michelle Waterson. She lost to, you know, uh, Claudia Gedalia, although I think that one was unanimous. She lost to Felice Herrig. If you look at all of those losses that were split decisions, the vast majority of them she lost because the judges saw the takedowns meaning more than what happened on the feet, which you right. know, obviously we know that that's not true. And, and, you know, we know how judges should work and how they might not work sometimes. But the fact of the matter remains that she keeps conceding takedowns, right? Like, she gave up three takedowns to Michelle Watterson, who, let's be honest, Michelle Watterson, not an incredible wrestler and certainly not a physical specimen when it comes no. to 115 because she, she she is an atom weight fighter. She's not a, a straw weight fighter. Here we are. We've got Courtney Casey going up a weight class to Jillian Robertson, who does a pretty damn good job of getting takedowns. So, for me... I'm worried that that's going to play into it, right? Like Jillian Robertson has scored a takedown with the exception of the Macy Barber fight where she got out of there quickly, or, you know, on the negative side. She has taken down every single one of her opponents at least once. So, you know, for me, I'm a little bit worried about that on Courtney Casey. It sounds like you're less worried. Uh, how about a prediction? What do you see ending this one? I am going with Robertson by – I'm going to go by submission, honestly. I think I think you bring up a good point. I think Casey does concede takedowns probably a little bit too early sometimes. And I, I'm very high on Robertson's grappling. I've seen her grapple a bunch. I've seen her grapple in submission-only competitions. I think she gets it done via – I'm going to go armbar. I think she flips a script on Courtney Casey here and finishes her with an armbar. Maybe – we'll go like second round maybe. Yeah, I agree with you on this one. I think she gets uh, – I'm going to go rear naked choke for the submission, but I think she's going to get it because I think I see Courtney Casey just being a little bit too complacent in places, and like I said, she, she concedes a lot of takedowns. Well, speaking of takedowns, let's talk about our next fight, which is Max Rochkoff. Oh, man, I knew I was going to slaughter it. Versus Austin Hubbard. Max won his uh, – oops, sorry, I got the wrong uh, notes in there. That's from a previous fight. <laughs> Max is making his UFC debut at 5-0. Uh, he comes over from uh, Titan FC recently, where he was looking very stellar with an early submission victory. Austin Hubbard won in two in the UFC. He lost to Davi Ramos and Mark Madsen, but did beat Kyle Propolak in between. So now here's the question. Austin Hubbard, his two losses are to Davi Ramos, amazing jiu-jitsu guy. Mark Madsen, great Greco-Roman guy. Here he gets... Rochkoff, who is an incredible freestyle wrestler from college, went to NC State, won an SEC championship. Is this the same old, same old here for Austin Hubbard? This is the same old, same old, man. I, I've seen – I saw Max wrestle in college. I've seen him on the jiu-jitsu scene. I've seen him in his fights. He's young. He brings a lot of horsepower. He brings a lot of confidence. Um, yeah, Austin gets put in with these grapplers, and uh, it's going to be the same old, same old, man. I, th I think Max runs him over here. Yeah, and I don't think there's too much to break down here. Hubbard has had a lot of trouble with grapplers. And this is a guy who's not only a D1 grappler, but he's a guy who is in 
Abu Dhabi trials and finished in like the, I think he made it to the elite eight Abu Dhabi trials before losing to John Combs. And, and for people who are in, not in the jujitsu scene and don't know enough about Abu Dhabi, that is a very legit showing for a dude who's only like 22 or 23 at the time. Um, so, you know, he's young, he's powerful. He's a great grappler in both submission skills and in wrestling. So yeah, I think he gets it done and I think he gets done with an early submission. Um, do you got a method? How do you see him getting it done? He also put uh, Ethan Krellinson to sleep with the Darsh Shogun. Ethan Krellinson is is very hard to beat, let alone submit. I got uh, I'm going with Darsh again. I th- I think he gets uh I think he gets a Darsh maybe off like a snap down or or you know possibly off a scramble back to the feet. Uh, yeah, I'm going Max Roshkoff via Darsh in the first round. Yeah, and I literally just watched that Krellinson grappling match this morning. It was incredible. So um, highly suggest YouTube that if you can find it. Uh, and that leads us to our very last fight, which is maybe one of the least exciting ones on this. And this is Mark andre Breal versus Oscar Pichota. Breal 0-3 in the UFC with losses to Andrew Sanchez, Christoph Jocko, and Jung Young Park, all by decision. And Pichota, although he won his first two fights, is now also on a three-fight losing streak to Gerald Mearshart, Rodolfo Vieira, and Puna Soriano, which all three of them were able to finish him. So... Obviously, one has got wins in the UFC, the other does not, but one has been finished three times in a row, the other is at least making the distance. Which one have you seen more positive from as of late? I Maybe not as of late, but I got to go Pichota. I feel like when Pichota debuted in the UFC, he kind of had a lot of hype. He, he was a very promising uh, you know, fighter. He got off the two-fight winning streak, and then it kind of, you know, the, the floor fell out from there. But uh, I think both of these guys are fighting for their jobs, which I think should be a pretty – make for a pretty fun fight, right? Because, I mean, uh, obviously I think the loser is going to lose leave town. But uh, I'm going Pichota. I think he's got more upside still even though he's on a three-fight losing streak. Brill's got a lot of um, KOs in his career, so I, I think it makes for a really fun fight. But I'm going Pichota here. Yeah, I think I'm going to go Pichota too. I, I've seen better things out of him in the past. So even though this is a recent skit and, – and, you know, it should be noted – Losses to Gerald Mearshart and, and Rodolfo Vieira are certainly nothing to be ashamed of. So uh, I, I think, you know, the fact that he's faced some higher level competition bodes well for him as well. So I'm going to go with Pichota. And that's going to do it for the end of our very third round. That is seven fights in just over 15 minutes. We hope you guys enjoyed the breakdown and we hope you learned something. I want to thank my co-host for this for this week, Kurt Chase Patrick. Make sure to check him out on the Fix Fight podcast with Kurt and Ben. Kurt, thank you so much for the time, man. Thanks again for having me. It's always a pleasure, man. I can't wait to do it again.